Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Mullen Group Limited third quarter earnings conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Murray K. Mullen, Chairman, CEO, and President. Please go ahead. Thank you all, and welcome to Mullen Group's quarterly conference call. So we'll be following our standard format today and providing shareholders and investors, investors with an overview of our third quarter financial results, discuss the main drivers impacting operating performance, our expectations for the balance in the year, and of course, we'll open the lines to answer your questions. So before I commence today's review, I'll remind everyone that our presentation contains forward-looking statements that are based upon current expectations and are subject to a number of uncertainties and risks, and actual results may differ materially. Further information identifying the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in the disclosure documents, which are filed on CDAR and at www.mullen-group.com. So on the line with me this morning, I have uh, the majority of our executive team, I have uh, Richard Maloney, Senior Vice President. I have Joanna Scott, Corporate Secretary and VP of Corporate Services. And I have Carson Erlacher, con uh, Corporate Controller. Uh, Stefan is not with us this morning, Stefan Clark, uh, our uh, VP of Finance. Um, uh, Stefan has been called into elective surgery. He's got to get his ankle operated on again. So today he's, uh, he's in, uh, in the hospital getting uh, well cared for. Uh, so Carson will be filling in for Stefan today. So let me move in right into the Q3 21 uh, financial and operating performance, and I will start with this. Uh, three quarters are completed. We've got a year that's quickly passing us by, and while it appears the worst of the health crisis associated with COVID is now close to being contained, the reality is the negative effects of this pandemic are not over. So the crisis just seems to mutate from one issue to another. Now, let's take, for example, some of the newest challenges. Inflation, surging commodity prices and the supply chain shortages. These are just a few of the economic issues now front and center. And now we have labor shortages. So we all ask the question, are these the result of, extremely, of an extremely robust and strong economy or a fundamental shift in the market? And need I mention to anyone that our healthcare system is in need of some major spending? Quite simply, all of these types of systems are under duress these days, and these are not easy issues to resolve. So despite all of these issues, though, that I just talked about, we have relentlessly pursued an aggressive growth strategy, and we've acquired six companies in 2021, the vast majority which are tied to consumer activity. Now, I believe the moves we have already taken accompanied with a constructive outlook for the economy is a nice combination that sets us up to deliver strong results, not just for the balance of 21, but also for a long period of time. So let's begin today's discussion with some highlights from the third quarter, and the most obvious 
is revenue growth. The economy was good, but there was one standout reason for the big increase, and that's acquisitions. In Q2 of this year, we finalized a number of transactions, acquiring what I would call really good companies. So Q3 is the first full quarter our results reflect the previously announced acquisitions, and it's the primary reason why consolidated revenues increased by $142 million in the quarter year over year. And while I'm on the topic of acquisitions, anyone that knows anything about our history will recall that acquisitions have been an integral part of our growth strategy ever since we went public in 1993, and I doubt this changes anytime soon. Our strategy mean, remains clear and steadfast. We acquire good companies, and then we improve their performance, which is precisely what we will do with all, each of these companies that we acquired this year. As I've always said, growth first followed by improved profitability. We have an excellent track record when it comes to integrating companies into our organization, as well as delivering performance, and I expect nothing less this time. The second highlights that I deliver, or that I want to, I believe deserves mentioning today is the discussion on the overall state of the economy the markets our company serves, and the impact these macro issues have on our business units. And sometimes the best way to look at how the economy is working is to review the results and performance of those business units that we've owned for a full year. Now, this is often referred to in other, um, other movies as same-store sales. Looking at the diversification of our business, you will see that we cover a large part of the economy, particularly here in Canada, where we are one of the largest logistics providers. This provides us with a very good overview of the economic activity by region as well as by subsector of the economy. So, for example, our largest segment, less than truckload or LTL as it is commonly referred to, it's the bellwether when it comes to consumer activity. In Canada, consumer demand remains strong throughout the quarter. However, we started to witness disruptions in the supply chain, impacting everything from the availability of many goods to productivity levels. In other words, demand continued to be strong, but overall freight volumes appear to have peaked, at least in the short term, due to supply chain issues. In fact, I'm beginning to wonder if these supply chain problems may become the Achilles heel of future growth in the economy, but more on this later. Now turning to logistics and where, the logistics and warehousing segment, which includes full load trucking services, it continued to improve, but we have not hit our full stride as of yet, and by this I mean we have not seen the pricing increases that are both required and inevitable as capacity here in Canada tightens. But it is coming. As demand returns, especially as capital goods start moving again, we are telling all customers, we can service your logistics needs, but you need to pay our price. This may end up being the new trend, the new normal, especially given the driver shortage facing the industry. Because without access to new professional drivers, there's precious little the industry can do to drive growth. In other words, limited top-line growth, but improving margins due to pricing increases. By the way, this has already occurred in the United States. In Canada, we have lagged on this market change, but as I have suggested, I am of the view that we are in the early days of improved pricing. I can tell you this, our business units have heard me loud and clear, prices must rise. The specialized industrial services segment is closely correlated to capital investment in Canada, including construction, major project development, oil and gas, natural drilling, and pipeline construction. During the quarter, this segment continued to be the most impacted by COVID restrictions, project delays, base camp quarantine protocols. Protocols didn't just curtail revenues, it also led to increased costs. A challenging period for most of our specialized and industrial business, 
and services business units um, is all I can say. The most positive takeaway during the quarter was the continuing improvement in oil and natural gas drilling activity. It certainly appears that this part of the economy will only improve as commodities prices hit multi-year highs, driven, of course, by improving demand fundamentals accompanied by tight supply. I think ultimately this is going to be good for our business. Our newest segment, U.S. and international logistics is off to a very strong start. Recall that this segment is focused on 3PL. Uh, is basically a non-asset-based business, except for our investment in technology. As such, gross margins on stated revenue are typically lower, and this is why we look at operating performance on a net revenue basis, because it shows how well the senior team is managing the spread, the difference between gross revenues, less cost of moving the goods via third parties. On both metrics, the team Holistic LLC did a great job beating our initial expectations in terms of total sales and net margin. The U.S. freight market is, by, and I'm not stretching this, it's on fire. It's driven by strong economic fundamentals and a tight supply chain. Uh, the most exciting and encouraging aspect of this investment is we're still in the early innings of transitioning the business from the previous ownership group, Quad Graphics, into a standalone business unit within our organization. Uh, this was not an easy acquisition, given that we needed to carve out the business from Quad. Uh, we need to establish a new U.S.-based operating entity, uh, which, by the way, we rebranded re as Holistic LLC, and ensure a continuity of operations. Kudos to you all at Holistic. Well done, team. And from my perspective, there's nothing but upside, a great business model, operating in a big market with an experienced and motivated senior management team. We have an excellent technology platform that will only get better as we invest to ensure Holistic maintains its industry-leading capabilities. Now, the next discussion point, and while I don't like referring to COVID as a highlight, there is a certain reality that we must deal with. It continues to cause havoc, both from a health perspective, but now from a supply chain perspective. Disruptions, slowdowns, delays, plant closures have all contributed to reduced productivity. That implies increased costs, and more generally speaking, I believe it's leading to inflationary pressures, which we all know has its own set of consequences. So we are watching this very, very carefully. And speaking of inflationary pressures, this is the last highlight I will comment on before turning the call over to Carson Erlacher, uh, as I said, who's subbing in for Stefan Clark this morning. Rising costs, lack of productivity, and now increasing wages driven by a labor crunch. Across North America, there appears to be a shortage of workers. And in our case, we know it is difficult to recruit and hire truck drivers, dock workers, mechanics, and other frontline workers. So the question we're all trying to determine is, where did they go? I'm not exactly sure, but this I do know for sure. Labor shortage, it's widespread, and wages are going up. But here's the rub. Along with higher wages and higher costs, more generally speaking, comes higher pricing. And this all sounds inflationary to me. Whether you believe all of this is transitory is up to your interpretation of the current trends. But from my perspective, admittedly, I don't know for sure. This I can say with confidence. Unless we get more Canadians back working, rising wages will continue as long as demand remains at current levels. There are no quick or easy fixes to the driver shortages, or more generally speaking, to the labor shortage. So overall, let me summarize the quarter uh, this way. Revenues at record highs, 
and we had a solid performance, um, operating performance, and that's driven by a couple factors. First is the new acquisition. You know, they just take time to get to the profitability levels we expect. Second, in our Q3 2020 performance, which was over-the-top good for two reasons. The first contributing factor was due to pipeline construction activity here in Canada and the strong performance of our pre-made pipeline group. This year, pipeline construction has been disrupted time and time again. The projects remain, but they are not on schedule and they're not as profitable. The second factor, of course, was queues. Last year, government subsidies were $10 million. This year, virtually zero. In other words, when you look at this quarter's results, you will see we successfully replaced both the loss of the profitable pipeline construction business and queues. More importantly, what we have today is a larger, more stable and sustainable business, and this I feel really good about. Carson, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you to provide a more in-depth review of the financial performance for Q3 2021. You're up, Carson. Perfect. Well, uh, thank you, Murray, and welcome, everyone. I'll get a little more granular, however, our interim report contains the details that fully explains our financial performance. As such, I'll provide you with some of the financial highlights for the third quarter of 2021. For the quarter, we generated record revenue as compared to any previously quarter period. A greater proportion of our revenue is now directly correlated to consumer spending. Year over year, revenue was up $141.6 million, or almost 50%, to $432.5 million. And as Marie alluded to earlier, this record revenue was mainly achieved through acquisitions, which added incremental revenue of $136.5 million. We also experienced modest same-store sales growth within our LTL and logistics and warehousing segments, which was somewhat offset by a decline in same-store sales uh, in our specialized and industrial services segment. Including fuel surcharge, same-store sales were up about $5.1 million and was due to the net effect of an $8.5 million increase in the, in the LTL segment, a $7.4 million increase in the logistics and warehousing segment, and these increases in same-store sales were somewhat offset by a $10 million decline in the specialized and industrial services segment. Our fuel surcharge revenue rose year over year because of higher diesel fuel prices. Total fuel surcharge revenue, including amounts from acquisitions, was $32.9 million an increase of 18.18 million as compared to 14.9 million in 2020. And it's important to note that no margin is made on fuel surcharge revenue. So as this increase is actually detrimental to our overall mar margin, but more on this later. Now going a bit more granular on our segment revenue. First starting with our largest segment, that being the LTL segment, grew by over uh, 56.4 million to 169.1 million as compared to 112.7 million in 2020. Acquisitions accounted for 47.9 million or 85% of this rise in revenue. The remaining increase of 8.5 million was due to increases at all business units due to the continued strength in consumer spending providing a steady flow of freight for our LTL group of companies. On a same store sales basis adjusting for acquisitions and fuel surcharge, this segment experienced a 3.7% increase in revenue, which was largely due to gains at Guardwine. Revenue in the uh, logistics and warehousing segment rose by $35.7 million to $121.9 million, compared to $86 million in 2020, due to the $28.3 million of incremental revenue from acquisitions, as well as a $2.8 million increase in fuel surcharge revenue. Same-store sales adjusted for acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuations were up 5.6% during the quarter. 
The freight market is improving as overall economic activity continued to improve and drive greater demand for freight services. Revenue in the specialized and industrial services segment declined by 6.7 million to 85.7 million as compared to 92.4 million in 2020, primarily due to an $11 million decrease at pre-made pipeline hauling, which came off a stellar performance in the third quarter of 2020. We also experienced a $5.8 million decrease in revenue at smooth contractors. As Marie mentioned, COVID-19 restrictions and other temporary delays resulted in a significant decline in major pipeline construction activity in BC, as well as civil construction work in Manitoba. These decreases were partially offset by greater drilling-related activity in Western Canada, as higher crude oil and natural gas prices resulted in an $8.2 million increase in revenue from our drilling-related services group of companies. This segment also generated $3.3 million of incremental revenue from acquisitions. Revenue generated by our new non-asset-based U.S. and international logistics segment were strong, exceeding our expectations by adding $57 million of revenue in the quarter. Our team at Holistic continues to grow in the 3PL space by adding new regional station agents to our Silver Express technology platform as the U.S. market continues to benefit from strong economic fundamentals coupled with a tight supply chain. Now, in terms of profitability, operating income before depreciation and amortization, commonly referred to as EBITDA, decreased by $0.7 million to $64.5 million as compared to $65.2 million in 2020. This, however, is a misleading indicator of our underlying results from operations. Given we included $10.3 million of Qs in, in Q3 of 2020 as compared to only 100,000 of Qs in 2021. We measure our success by measuring the sustainable underlying business performance, and we adjust our senior management and executive profit share performance plan to exclude any amounts received from Qs. That said, we included in within our MDNA a non-GAAP measure this quarter we called adjusted OIBDA. The definition and reconciliation of adjusted OIBDA to OIBDA can be found within our reconciliation of non-GAAP terms within our interim report but essentially it's OIBDA excluding Qs. Our adjusted OIBDA was 64.4 million for the quarter, an increase of 9.5 million compared to 54.9 million in 2020. The $9.5 million increase in adjusted OIBDA was due to acquisitions which generated 15.7 million of incremental adjusted OIBDA. This, however, was partially offset by lower profitability at Premade Pipeline and Smook. Let's take a look at adjusted OIBDA by segment. In the LTL segment, adjusted OIBDA increased by 6.2 million to 26.9 million as compared to 20.7 million in 2020. This increase was due to 6.8 million of incremental adjusted OIBDA from acquisitions, which was somewhat offset by higher purchase transportation costs. As a percentage of revenue, adjusted operating margin decreased to 15.9% as compared to 18.4% in 2020, due to lower margin generated by our recent acquisitions. Currently, our recent acquisitions in this segment are generating margins below the segment average, but for those, for those that have followed us uh, for a while know that our reputation of improving margins uh, uh, is intact. In fact, that is our mission statement. We acquire companies and strive to improve their performance, both in terms of profitability uh, and in terms of safety and other ESG metrics. Adjusted OIBDA in the logistics and warehousing segment increased by 7.3 million to 22.7 million as compared to 15 million in 2020. 5.7 million of this increase was due to incremental OIBDA from acquisitions, 
with the remaining increase being due to the improved performance by most business units in this segment. Adjusted operating margin increased to 18.6% as compared to 17.9% in 2020 as some rates started to improve and our cost control initiatives remained intact. Adjusted OIBDA in the specialized and industrial services segment decreased by 5.6 million to 15.6 million compared to 21.2 million. The $5.6 million decrease is attributable to a $6.5 million decrease in those business units providing specialized services, a $1.2 million decrease in those business units involved in the transportation of fluids and servicing of wells, which was offset by a $2.1 million increase from those business units tied to drilling-related activity. So the largest decline in this segment came from Specialized Services Group, which was almost entirely due to the $5.3 million decline in uh, adjusted OIBDA by Premade Pipeline. Again, Premade's performance was outstanding in 2020 and could not be repeated. As a result, adjusted operating margin decreased by 4.7% to 18.2% as compared to 22.9% in 2020 due to the change in revenue mix. So now if we, if we strictly look at margin now on a consolidated basis, adjusted OIBDA as a percentage of revenue is down 4% to 14.9% compared to 18.9% in 2020. This 4% reduction is explained by, by the following factors. First, the shift in revenue mix that I just mentioned between Premade Pipeline and Smoot being down 17 million in revenue and 6 million of, of adjusted OIBDA. High margin project work with respect to pipeline activity in the third quarter of 2020 was exceptional, whereas this year's projects have been met with setbacks from COVID-19 restrictions and other project delays. Second, we expect lower margins to be generated from our new $50 million acquisition of Holistic in our non-asset based US and industrial logistics segment, which added 57 million of new revenue this quarter. Gross margin was 5.3 million, or 9.3% of revenue, and adjusted OIBDA was 2.9 million, or 5.1% of total revenue. This margin alone accounted for 1.5 points of the 4% lower consolidated adjusted operating margin, as without this segment's results, consolidated adjusting margin would have been 16.4% as compared to 14.9%. From a strictly cash perspective, adjusted OIBDA in this segment is virtually the same as EBIT. Third, we generated 32.9 million of fuel surcharge revenue and 18, an 18, point, uh, or 18 million dollar increase from the 14.9 million generated in 2020. Fuel surcharge is detrimental to our operating margin since it's effectively a flow through to compensate for rising diesel fuel prices. Some of our peers exclude fuel surcharge when they report margins, whereas we do not. If we were to exclude the 32.9 million of fuel surcharge revenue in the third quarter of 2021, our adjusted operating margins would have, been, would have improved by 1.2% to 16.1% from 14.9%. And lastly, we generated 47.9 million of incremental revenue from acquisitions in our LTL segment that achieved an adjusted operating margin of 14.2%, which is 1.7% below the segment average. This provides us with the opportunity that Murray spoke to earlier, which was for what we, uh, for, which is for us to do what we do best, and that's acquire companies and improve their performance. Now, just a quick word on queues. As you know, we recorded virtually no queues this quarter, as we are currently in the process of evaluating the legislative framework surrounding the payback provisions for public companies. We'll complete our evaluation in the fourth quarter, and we will know whether we will be applying for queues uh, uh, or not. 
Looking at some other notable items, we continue to generate cash in excess of our operating needs. As cash, uh, net cash from operating activities for the period was $37.3 million. Although this is a decrease of $10 million from the prior year, the decrease is mainly due to uh, uh, growth and business expansion from our acquisitions as we were required to finance our working capital requirements. We now have a total of $250 million of bank credit facilities available to us, uh, to which we had $85 million drawn at the end of the quarter, thus leaving us with over $160 million of room available. Our basic earnings per share was down to $0.18 cents as compared to $0.27 cents on a reduced share count as we bought back 2.3 million shares in 2021. The main reason for the decrease in earnings per share this quarter was due to the $4.6 million increase in amortization of intangible assets, which is a non-cash item. Virtually all of our intangibles consist of customer relationships and, and non-competition agreements acquired on acquisitions. And at Mullen, our intangible assets are amortized over a five-year period from the date of acquisition, which is pretty aggressive and may not be comparable to other reporting issuers. Lastly, a quick word on ESG. For those that know us, it's no secret that we have always had an unwavering commitment to safety and our people. Our year-to-date lost time claims ratio in 2021 is 0.81, which is only slightly higher than the 0.79 for the same period in 2020. In fact, our total recordable injury rate was down year over year to 2.57 from 2.79 in 2020. Our safety results continue to be best in class, which is a testament to not only our core business, but also our new acquisitions, knowing that we have similar views when it comes to our safety culture. So with that, Murray, I will pass the conference back to you. Thanks, Carson. Uh, uh, just a great summary. I appreciate that. So uh, to all with the, with the third quarter now completed, I'll spend the next few minutes outlining our outlook for the balance of 21. And in just a few short weeks, we will post our 2022 business plan and operating budget, at which time we will be better prepared to talk about what we expect in 2022. As for the fourth quarter, there are a lot of uh, issues to consider with a lot of moving parts. Nevertheless, on balance, you know, I have a pretty constructive view for the majority of our business units and for the markets we serve, which leads me to believe we will finish 21 on a positive note and generate some good results. And let me explain why I say this. No, I'll start with the obvious. Uh, acquisitions will drive top-line growth. And earlier I spoke of six acquisitions completed this year. Well, five were completed in the second quarter alone, and uh, we just completed one and finalized one on October 1st. So you've heard our discussion and rationale for the earlier acquisitions, which are substantive and a game-changer for our business. As such, there's no need for me to expand further. I will, however, provide some details on the transaction we recently completed. It's not large. They're generating around $15 million annually, annually which is, a, which is a why we did not press release. It's a small acquisition. But, uh, but it does foretell what we are thinking strategically. Direct IT group of companies... Uh, is the leading provider of courier and small package deliveries in the Calgary market. They have an excellent reputation providing best-in-class service. Uh, they have the critical mass that's required in the courier business to be profitable. They utilize a fleet of independent contractors that minimizes capital required. And they have a proprietary technology to manage the business. It's a platform I believe we can use to enter new metropolitan markets. So I like this transaction, not just for the good company we acquired, but also because it has the potential to be scalable. Plus, I see how 
there's potential for us to leverage the e-commerce business that we have and expand our ambient delivery footprint. Now, the reason being is that the courier business is better suited to capitalize on these opportunities than our current LTL business for one simple reason. Small package requires small delivery units, not trucks. And once again, Direct IT has the critical mass in the small package business to make this happen profitably. Now, in addition to acquisitions, from the evidence I see, the economy remains on solid footing, which is very supportive to the markets we serve. Now, I do not expect, uh, however, uh, to see a lot of internal growth, and that's for two fundamental reasons. The first is the supply chain. You've heard me speak about that earlier. There's far too much inventory that's stuck somewhere in the system that's limiting consumer choice or factory productivity. Retailers cannot sell what they cannot access, and factories cannot build without every component delivered on time. There are quite simply too many bottlenecks for the system to be productive. The second, and perhaps the more long-lasting issue, is the labor shortage. Yes, there are a lot of people working, but will the next qualified, where will the next qualified worker come from? And everyone in business knows that without additional labor joining the workforce, it is difficult to see how a company can grow. And furthermore, when labor markets are as tight as they currently are, it's undoubtable that wage pressure will not arise. So in summary, from a top-line revenue perspective, we should deliver some really nice results in Q4. Consumer spending remains strong, but probably not growing. So this is a solid indicator for what to expect on our LTL segment. Logistics and warehousing, along with trucking, appear uh, pretty steady with some early indications that capital investment is finally starting to accelerate here in Canada, which would be very positive for our flat tech businesses. And then there is a higher crude oil and natural gas prices. One would expect the drilling activity and investment by the producers would increase given the cash flow they are generating. There is, however, a dark side to rising energy prices. Higher fuel costs come to mind. Inflationary pressures are building. As such, we are mindful of these impacts. And the one negative I see, again, this quarter is the decline in year-over-year pipeline activity. Uh, the, the pipeline projects are still bottlenecked with just issue after issue. Uh, and recall once again that in 2020, our premier pipeline group had an outstanding year capitalizing on just an active pipeline year uh, uh, project-wise. This year, the drama on these projects is nearly laughable if it were not so sad. Delays of every sort you could think of have hampered activity and productivity. And uh, to our shareholders, I doubt this changes in the fourth quarter. So revenues associated with pipeline construction would be down year over year. That's negative to our specialized industrial services segment, again, in Q4. Uh, however, we do expect drilling activity to be up somewhat to mitigate part of that. And lastly, a comment on our U.S. and industrial logistics segment, uh, our newest reporting segment. The freight market in the U.S., as I suggested earlier, is on fire, and our holistic team is doing a great job capturing market share. They're managing the demand flow and at the same time working through the transition of the old Quad Express business in dualistic. Uh, it's taken a total team effort and a lot of support from people at uh, Quad Graphics and uh, the previous owner. I want to thank them tremendously uh, for everything they've done to help with this transition. Uh, it has gone just about as seamless as possible, particularly to our customers and to our people. Uh, we'll continue to make progress on the transition plan in the fourth quarter. 
Uh, and with business remaining strong, um, I'd expect another really solid quarter performance from our U.S. team. Uh, a couple of comments on profitability before I close out today's formal presentation. Uh, profitability is it's measured today, could be measured as OBDA, uh, OIBDA. Uh, it should be similar to Q3 results, given the top-line growth I spoke about, uh, which is, uh, you know, it just hasn't grown at uh, our revenues, uh, you know, with the top-line growth to record highs. It really has fundamentally altered the structure of our business. You know, the acquisitions completed this year are generally on the asset light side, meaning we really don't have a lot of CapEx required to maintain the business, and, uh, and, and that's a good thing. But less capital employed also means lower OBDA numbers, but not operating income, folks. I wanted to make this distinction clear because while our OBDA will grow, the margin will fall as we include uh, more light asset uh, business units into our network of only owned subsidiaries. And, and this, by the way, is all by design. In addition, we have a couple of non-recurring items that occurred in Q4 2020 that will not re be repeated this year, queues and reduced pipeline activity in the province of BC. I, I guess the best way for me to summarize what to expect is that we have replaced these non-recurring items with sustainable, long-term, profitable business. Uh, I sure feel good about that. Now, earlier you heard that uh, we've increased our banking facilities by about $100 million, and that's providing ample liquidity in the event we uh, identify additional acquisition targets. Uh, but but uh, to be blunt, I'm not sure we'll need these additional lines of credit because I do not like the valuations today. Uh, but we're also um, ready if the right opportunity presents itself. So thank you again for joining us today. And let's now open up the phone lines for that always interesting and informative Q&A session. Uh, operator, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. Our first question comes from Michael Robertson of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. And uh, Carson, nice job subbing in for uh, Stefan, uh, wishing him a speedy recovery. Um, wanted to maybe start with something you sort of touched on at the, the end of your comments there, Murray. Um, looking at the inaugural quarterly results for the, uh, the U.S. and international logistics segment, uh, you noted revenue was above expectations given the strength of the, the U.S. freight market and the addition of uh, uh, regional station agents. But uh, looking at the 2020 revenue highlighted for that business at the time of the acquisition, this looks like a really strong quarter. Um, so I was just wondering how lumpy you would expect this business to be from quarter to quarter, or whether there's some seasonality uh, at play here. Um, I think, you know, typically – you kind of have three buying seasons in the freight business. You have, uh, because a lot of freight is consumer driven, you have the holiday season, which is coming up. So the fourth quarter should be pretty strong. Uh, first quarter would probably be your softest, and then you'll get ready for, this, for the summer season, and then you have the back to school. So uh, if you have a softer quarter, it's probably Q1. Uh, but three pretty strong ones. And, uh, you know, Q1, there'll probably be a little bit of consumer hangover from all the buying and at Christmas and whatever. That's typically what you see. Uh, 
Um, and I wouldn't be surprised that happens again this year. Now, that, that might give a little bit of uh, cover for the supply chain bottlenecks that we've got to maybe catch up a little bit in, in Q1. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I would suspect Q4 will be similar to Q3, maybe maybe stronger. The the team has indicated that uh, you know the market's still on, still doing extremely robust activity right now. But uh, Q1 might be a little bit softer, but that's just traditional. Yeah, three strong, Got one it. soft, one soft. Yeah, typically. Yeah. That that's helpful, caller Murray, and uh, yeah, good good to hear regarding Q4 as well. Um, just sort of switching gears here, do. Uh, do you see the M&A landscape shifting at all right now, given the uh, the change in the government subsidy programs that uh, you referred to? Yeah, that's you know what. I, I think if if you if you want one reason why the Canadian marketplace has not had the same pricing leverage as the as the U.S., it's simply called queues. Um, everybody in Canada got money, and uh, that protected every business unit. So. And we got money too. Uh, full disclosure, our company qualified for a lot of cues, but you know that's the, that's the system. We, we were prepared without cues, and we would have probably, if there was no cues, we would have probably picked up some really good companies at a really good discount price. But that's not the case. So everybody survived, but cues is now running out. Now they got to survive without cues. And remember, cues are bottom line numbers. It's not top line numbers. So the you know, everybody was kind of protected. Now you've got rising costs and you've got this. Uh, I think it's only a matter of time till that catches up in this marketplace. Um, when we look at all the business units, Michael, uh, or the, that we look at acquiring, I can tell you right now we discount queues. We, we do not pay for queues. Uh, we take a look and make sure the company can recover from that. And if uh, we aren't convinced of it, then we, we don't bite on those targets. But I would Got suspect, it. I would suspect some problems uh, coming up in 2022 if companies don't, if they don't adjust their pricing, uh, they will be in a lot of trouble. Uh, that's that's helpful color as well. Um, maybe last one for me here. Is it uh, is it too early to ask about cap expectations uh, looking out to 2022? I, I may have to wait a few weeks for your. Uh, your business plan, but uh, I, I know some of the planned expenditures you had this year were disrupted by supply chain challenges. So, wondering if you see that sort of spilling over into to next year and, and what that might entail. Well, I can tell you, you can put it whatever you want in in capex. The bottom line is you can't get it. So, uh, you know, and everybody's on allocation right now. So, I would suspect that in uh, 2022, that you know, it'll be difficult to. Uh, really to ramp up CapEx because you just can't get the product. Uh, but another comment on, Cap, on, on CapEx for us, we've grown the business substantially. We've grown by 50%, but I, I don't think our, our CapEx will grow by 50% because a lot of the business we acquired are non-asset-based companies. They're, they're asset light. So, uh, for example, our business in the United States, Holistic, uh, we own no trucks. We own no trailers. We own no facilities. Uh, we only invest in technology. So that's a pure 3PL, very very asset light. So, you know, what you get in OB-DAW is what you get in operating income, really. So uh, 
we're, we, we did, by design, we went more asset light because uh, we just saw some problems in the, in the market on the asset side base. And, uh, you know, we, um, we'll, 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 we'll invest in asset businesses, but I want to return. And if you invest in an asset-based business, you better have a 5% margin built in for the asset because that's depreciation. So right. that's what you need. So, you know, if I go asset light, you know, 15% tomorrow might be the same as 18 or 19% of yesterday because we've changed the, we've just fundamentally changed the structure of our business. Understood. Well, uh, thanks for taking my questions. I will turn it back. Thank you very much. Appreciate your comments. Our next question comes from Walter Spracklin of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, uh, thanks for taking my hey, question. Welcome. How, How you are doing? you? Good. Good. We're good. doing good. Thank you. Excellent. Um, so, so, so maybe starting on margins and and the uh, input costs and labor inflation that and 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 difficulty getting drivers and and wage inflation and so on. Or do you think, given the pace of your contracts, customer discussions, are you able to keep ahead of that in your pricing? Um, not so much for this year, but for next year. In other words, do you think you can protect margin with pricing to offset the cost pressures for next year, or is there a disconnect or a lag there that is not going to be not going to allow you to to grow margin because of that dynamic? You know that that's the one that everybody's struggling with. I'll give you I'll give you a couple uh, comments on that, Walter. So let's let's start with with the most obvious price increase, that's fuel, because it's rep it's representative on fuel surcharge. You know, that shows up as revenue, but you make no margin on 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 fuel surcharge. In fact, you're actually behind as fuel prices go up because that's you always adjust fuel surcharge forty five days or sixty days after the price increase. It you know it's not on a daily basis and you have to build that into your rate structure. So as as fuel prices keep rising, you're you're a little bit behind on that. It's it's when the fuel prices level off that you'll be able to catch up and, and get normalized. So we're behind the curve on fuel prices. Now let's go. Let me go to the the other uh, some of the other uh, capital costs coming in. That's more long term. Uh, I can just tell you right now: trucks, trailers, everything we do. Not only does it take longer to get, but it's more money. So we have to build that into our cost structure. That really hasn't hit us quite yet. What has hit us, Walter, is parts, parts and labor. And so we probably lost, the, we were behind the curve a little bit uh, in, the, in the third quarter. Uh, there's a little bit of noise in there because so much was on our pipeline side. But I would say to you, I suspect we're behind on, a little bit on that uh, just because uh, parts, parts pressure is, is quite significant. The labor issues that's just, it's the newest one, Walter, and all of our business units have heard us loud and clear. We've had our, our calls. Uh, you can give your wage increases to your to your employees, um, and they won't be 2%. There's going to be a couple lot more than that, uh, but you've got to recover from the customers. So uh, our plan is to stay at least equal um, on the labor front, and, uh, you know, then – Let's see what happens when these carriers that have been getting cues 
I think they're going to have to raise the prices. The marketplace has been more competitive in Canada, substantially more competitive than in the United States. Let's see what happens in 2022. Uh, this cost curve is catching up to everybody. Uh, and, and, you know, my, mine, we're going to at least stay even. I can tell you that. Okay, that's great. Uh, moving over to industrial services, uh, obviously with the downturn in that sector previously, you saw your revenue follow suit as capital spending uh, dried up there. Now with commodity prices coming down, how, how much or coming back up, how much of a line of sight do you have on those projects? In other words, are we likely to see, and I know you gave guidance already for fourth quarter that it's going to be probably the same, so I, presumably we're probably going to see another quarter of similar contribution from industrial services, but do you have line of sight for next year that on the capital spending front that we might get a step function increase in your in your revenue in that segment as, as capital projects start to pick up amid higher commodity prices? Walter, I don't think so. Uh, I'm concerned because there's no labor uh, and, uh, and there's not a lot of capital going into that you know, into the sector. So I suspect that there'll be, it'll be better next year, uh, but I don't see a substantial increase because there's just no labor to do the work. Um, what I can tell you is, is that I'm not satisfied with the returns and uh, we're, we're going with pricing. Uh, so, you know, I expect our margin to go up, but I don't think our revenues will go up a whole bunch. Um, you know, uh, but we're raising prices. That's all there is to it. And if if you don't want to pay the price, then give your business to somebody else. I'm okay with that. I can't get the people anyhow, so don't worry about it. But if you want our people and you want our service, you're going to pay more. And that's what we're telling the oil companies. You're charging the consumer more. You're paying more to us. But I don't know if that leads... I don't know if all the money they're making is going to be put back into the drill bit because of ESG, because of, you know, there's just not, an, there's not support from shareholders or from government or policy for the industry to go and invest to grow. So it looks to me like it's going to be pretty difficult to grow supply uh, unless you go drill. Like, like, it doesn't just come out of thin air. And, and as an industry... As a service provider, you make money not when the oil companies make money, but when they spend money. And I keep hearing more and more they're going to pay dividends, buy back stock, reduce debt, not put it into investing into adding supplies. I think that's I don't see that yet. So we, we won't be we won't be putting any capital into that business. Uh but I can tell you we're gonna charge more money and uh those those customers don't want to pay it. Well, give somebody else a call. Don't call us. We're uh, I don't need to take your call. That makes sense. F final question for me, Murray. Um, you you've been following, no doubt, the the drama at Canadian National, and and you've heard that they're under pressure to perhaps divest of some of their non-rail assets. Um, do those would those fit into your into into your strategy, are, are they consistent with the type of growth that you want to see, assuming it comes at the right price, or are these businesses completely, you know, not what you're interested in terms of your where where you're looking to drive growth? No, I mean the the, the 
and what you're, I think what you're talking about is the, let's call it the Transex assets, the H&R assets. A lot of the business that that uh, CN acquired there was not the trucking per se. They wanted to protect the the intermodal business, and which is why they they bought uh, Transex and H&R. Um, that that intermodal business is a key part of our future because we think that uh, it's going to be really difficult to get long-haul truck drivers. It's going to be really difficult to get trucks that will not need diesel to go long-haul. Uh, we like the intermodal business. We think that's the way freight's going to move. And, uh, you know, if CN decides, we'll, be, we'll look at that just like some others will. And, uh, you know, that's why we bought apps. Apps has a big intermodal business. Our Cleason Group is very big in the intermodal business, and uh, we continue to see that as the way that freight will move uh, across Canada, uh, east-west, is via intermodal. So yeah, I'd, we'd take a look at it, uh, and you know we have really strong relations with the CN Group, uh, so. We'll, we'll we'll engage with them when their time is right. But as you said, they've they've got they're working through some issues. And uh, but uh, you know we we do a lot of intermodal work with them right now. So we'll talk with them for sure. Thanks thanks for the color as always, Murray. Very very helpful. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Walter. Our next question comes from Konark Gupta of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Good morning and uh, thanks everyone. Um, Good morning. So, morning, uh, Murray. Um, so, Murray, uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, maybe the first question I wanted to ask on the cost inflation, which was kind of the, the real uh, kind of detriment, I think, on the quarter in terms of margin performance, even though obviously revenue performance is phenomenal. Um, so, I wanted to ask you on the purchase transportation side. So, like the the purchase transportation cost, uh, which is pretty heavy in an LTL segment, uh, you know, compared to the other segments, was up uh, more than I think 100%, maybe 140, 50% or so. Uh, how much of that was driven by one-time purchase transportation due to lack of quality subcontractors versus, um, you know, driven by acquisitions or rate increases by those guys? Yeah, a lot of it's driven by acquisitions. Uh, are are the newest acquisition of of apps? They use a lot of purchase transportation. Uh, they're the asset light business model that I talk about, um, and you use third parties to that make the investment in the in the truck and sometimes the the trailer. So uh, apps is really they're, they're a hybrid 3PL provider because they they have some of their own delivery, but basically they move a lot of freight by. Uh, uh, with third parties, um, and and uh, it's the the market started to tighten in uh, in the third quarter, so uh, the price of transport of third parties started to go up, and uh, you know we'll have to make sure that we recover that in our pricing. Those are things that uh, everybody's looking at as we do our 2022 and 2022 budgets, uh, but the majority of it was. Uh, uh, it came from uh, associated with our new acquisitions. Carson, I think I got that right, did I not? So yeah, Carson's my Carson's yeah. my expert on this. Yeah, you hit that one spot on, Murray. Okay, yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, I knew the numbers. Yeah, that's good. So mostly, 
Uh, mostly it was because uh, of the new acquisitions we did and because they're asset light business models. Um, meaning, I don't have a lot of CapEx with these businesses, so, uh, which is precisely why we've invested in them. Uh, our, our, our thesis right now is, Conrad, is that we want to own the customer, not the, not the asset. Right. No, makes sense. Makes sense. And then, um, like the, these these costs going up, how how quickly can you pass on these costs uh, to your customers? And like you pointed out uh, at uh, at the logistics and warehousing segment, for example, uh, prices have not gone up yet uh, to the extent that you like. Uh, what what's keeping pricing or rates to go up at at, at modern subsidiaries? Uh, well, I would tell you prices are going to go up. Uh, you know, it may have, uh, you know, been a bit of a lag in the third quarter, but but not significantly. What we see happening right now is the market is getting tight and tighter, and uh, and the biggest thing that's going up now is labor, and uh, you know, and there's other in pricing pressures going up. So uh, we'll, we'll be we'll be at least with the curve, as I said. Uh, all our business units know it. Uh, and you've got to remember, uh, and this is to all the listeners, is that you know we've been you know, 10 years of really not having a lot of pricing leverage in the market. So uh, we've been aware that it's coming, and you know customers would have you know always you've been you know one two percent. It's not one to two percent now. It's five to ten. And those are difficult discussions to have, but everybody knows it that prices are going up throughout the whole supply chain. So I, I think it's 5 to 10 now is the new norm. But, boy, that's a big jump from a couple percent. But that's the new world that we're living in. And uh, we're just telling people you're paying or don't call us. Right. And do you have, like, certain uh, periods when you renew your pricing? Uh, is it, like, typically Q4, Q1 timeframes, uh, which we are kind yeah. of, yeah you, know, for, yeah, you know what? We're all over the map on that because we're so diversified, right? We got forty different business units. There's not one set time of year, but typically, uh, for most, we start setting our strategy in uh, in October as we do budgets. So we will be looking at uh, wages and benefits for next year. This is the time we do our strategy, and then we do the strategy on the pricing. Uh, for our customers at the same time. So uh, this market is very, very fluid at the moment. Uh, I'm, I'm struck by how in certain segments it just happens like overnight um, in the shipping industry. I, I can tell you right now the railways are moving prices like crazy. They are not being kind to anybody. That is, and they're a big subcontractor. When you see... Uh, our contract expense go up. Uh, well, that's because we're using the rails. Uh, they're a big subcontractor because we do a lot of intermodal, and those prices are going up, which implies that uh, you know we got to pass that on to our customers. So, uh, yeah, but we're, I, 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 I just tell I'm, I'm telling everybody. I'm telling all our business units. None of our business business units are, are, are going to take uh, take this on the chin for too long because everybody's paid on profit share in their business unit. So they're not. They're 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 going to make sure we get they we're kept whole at least whole. Right. right. And they and they and they've heard and they've heard from me. 
and they've heard from me. Yep, and and then um, quickly on the uh, the quad or holistic and uh, great set of results in the first quarter. Uh, so congrats on that. Um, just wondering, I'm like I think to an earlier question. Um, you know, uh, these guys were doing 135 US revenue uh, last year. Um, now, if you analyze their Q3, which I know my Q1 is seasonally softer, but still, like if you analyze 57 you get to like a 35% kind of growth rate this year. Um, like, is it is it growing at a significant kind of double digit rate you think in the next couple of years or is the growth kind of gonna soften down to single digit? Yeah, I, you know, that's gonna be the, uh, um, you know, that, that that's gonna be the issue we gotta, we gotta take a look at. I, I'd be extremely surprised if the market can continue to grow at the same robust pace that we've seen this year, and I'm talking about the whole trucking industry and everything else, uh, all trucking, logistics, uh, warehousing, everything. I can't see the same type of growth rate next year. Uh, I would tell you, though, that I really like the business model these folks have, and we would hope that we can uh, beat the uh, overall trend because we got, we've got an excellent team and a great business model. So. Uh, will they be in the 35% range going into next year? Nah, probably not. Uh, but they'll. I wouldn't be surprised to see them in double digit. They, this team continues to uh, amaze me. I tell you, that's been a. We've had no negatives out of that acquisition. That's great. And then last one for me uh, before I turn it over. Premium pipeline. So I think it's been uh, a few quarters. Of decline given the delays right now the, the, the delays are it, it, it seems like more like a not a lost opportunity more seems like a delayed opportunity so whatever you're pushing out from this year is going into probably 2022 and maybe some part of 2023 uh, a is that correct and second uh, when do we start lapping you know the pre-may uh, easy costs well i think what you're going to you know we had a we had a really strong year last year that was you know, a good chunk of that was kind of, uh, you know, just a special moment, and they just they just did a fantastic job last year. Uh, we expected it to come down this year, and we highlighted that, but we didn't expect every project to be have the delays they have, and it's pushed it out here, correct, into 23-24 even now. I, it, these projects have just been delayed so much. I think the problem I have is the profitability is not going to be as high because delays don't allow you to make a lot more profit because you're just less productive. So the projects are not going away, but I don't think they'll be as productive and uh, uh, profitable as we were in uh, in 20. But let me just make a comment on that. You know, that's, that's the power of our diversified business model. When the rest of the world was struggling, we had this wonderful business unit just ace it for us, one of our business units. And that gave us a great, you know, that, that buffeted us last year They, they uh, when the others were struggling. Now they're coming down, and now we've got the consumer strong. So that's the power of our diversified business model. And uh, i got to tell you, um, make no apologies for it. Uh, and the pipeline side, when there's a pipeline project to go, uh, that team over there, led by Paul Schultz and his team, uh, they, they're the industry leader. They'll, they'll do fantastic. What you need to have in Canada is 
Canada, do you want more pipelines to move the product? Yes or no? I doubt if it's going to be crude oil pipelines, but uh, you know, it might be natural gas pipelines because there is a huge shortage of natural gas in the world. Is Canada going to provide that, some of that, or not? That's up for Canadians to debate. Perfect. No, that's a great summary. Thanks. Uh, appreciate the time as always, and speedy recovery to Stefan. Thanks. Thanks, Conrad. Appreciate that. Our next question comes from David Ocampo of Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Hey, David. Hey, Mary. How's it going? Great. Thank I you. Just had a, I just had a quick one for you on the package and courier business that you acquired. You mentioned that you wanted to expand it to, to other regions uh, across Canada. Are, are you going to be able to do that all organically, or, or are you going to have to step in and make other acquisitions as you enter new markets? You know, um, you know that's what we're debating with the man, with the team that we got over there. Uh, the two previous owners have stayed on. Uh, they, they, I mean, they there are keys to this business. Part of it's going to be organic um, that we've got going on. Uh, for example, our Guardwine Group has a very as a good part of their group is uh, of their business is, is in the career business in Winnipeg and northern Manitoba, northern Ontario. They have a really good network. Uh, but it'll be a, I think it'll be a combination. And I'll tell you why. Um, y- you can do it organically, but it's uh, you've got to invest, and you're not you're not efficient right off the bat if you, bat if you do it organically because you have to have the critical mass in order to be profitable. And so if you want to be profitable in LTL or you want to be profitable in package and courier, you better have critical mass. You can't have one shipment in the back of your little delivery van. You got to have 50. That's how you make money in that business. And these guys happen to have, they just got a great platform in the in the Calgary market. And the Calgary market is, it's not a chunk chain. I mean, Calgary market's one point some million people. Uh, but I can tell you, we've got the we got the business model, and I can tell you, they got a, just a, one of the best technology platforms I've seen. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned on that. I, that that's going to be part of our growth package and career. And uh, these guys are competitive. Their pricing is exponentially below uh, the rest of the competitors, which is why they have all the business, and they're profitable. That's a tough competitor. So we'll continue to look at opportunities to expand that business, I think, David, over the next bit. That's perfect. That's all I had for you. Thanks a lot, Mary. Thanks much. Our next question comes from Aaron McNeil of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good morning, all. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, Good morning, Aaron. I had a couple questions. Hey, how are you? Good. You already had a couple questions on holistic revenue, so maybe I'll ask the margin question. Um, I'm just recalling the last conference call. You mentioned, in general, 3PL gross margins were typically around 10%. You sort of downplayed margin expectations for the near term at that time. Just looking at Q3 margins of 9%, you know, you said that the team exceeded expectations. So I guess I just follow up and ask for a bit more context. You know, is this business performing better than you expected out of the gate? You mentioned 
improving performance for acquisitions, is that something you still think you can do here or is it running pretty efficiently already in your view? Uh, so, you know, it's about 10%. So nine to 10 is kind of the industry standard there. You just look at all the, th the big 3PL uh, providers and, uh, you know, you've got, you got two measures. One is, you know, how much freight did you move? That's the gross revenue. And then the net revenue is just the delta that I talk about, that spread. And, uh, you know, the spread is uh, your net revenue, and their margins are very, very high on a net margin basis. And, uh, you know, the 9 to 10 is probably the, the, the number that we're after. I can tell you they've really outperformed on the revenue side. Uh, and we still have some integration costs that we've got to, uh, you know, when we first get the, get the business and, uh, and some transition costs that are, that are embedded in there. But uh, overall, uh, uh, they've, they've beat my expectations, particularly on the top line. They just, they continue to amaze me, to be honest with you. So maybe that's a good chunk of the market, uh, and they're taking advantage of that, but I also think... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's also what they're doing internally and in growing the business, expanding their network of station agents. So, um, yeah, that's that's the way I look at that. So. Okay, maybe one other follow up on direct IT and um, just a small package and career business in general. But you know, is this something that you can? leverage your existing warehousing infrastructure to, to build out or, or is that something you need to do in addition? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point and that's part of the synergy, part of the opportunity that I see. Really if you think about it, what's a warehouse? A warehouse is just a big uh it's a big spot where all the delivery guys come into and uh then you deliver out to the consumer and uh that's just called e commerce. So courier and e commerce Go go fit hand in glove. So uh, yeah, our 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 warehousing business. I mean, I'm sitting at my at our warehousing business in Toronto today at DWS, having the meeting with that group here and introduced them to that technology and said, look, we do the warehousing and they do a fantastic job. But the opportunity is we actually do the delivery too, and now we have a technology that would allow them to be very very efficient. What you need then is the is the delivery mechanism. Uh, and network to make sure it's profitable. So, yeah, I see opportunity with uh, warehousing, with uh, final mile delivery, and having that technology platform. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, that's a that's a good potential opportunity for us to continue to grow and expand our footprint with our customers. Absolutely. That's all for me. I'll turn it over. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin Chiang of CIBC. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, th thanks for my question. I, I, I've just got one here. Hopefully everyone's doing well on the Mullen team. Um, I, I guess I guess I'm a little bit surprised by uh, maybe the cautiousness around margin expansion into next year. I know there's a lot of moving parts. I, I get the inflation angle. But, but I guess if I look at your um, – let's say your, your same store sales in your logistics and warehousing and LTL in Q3, you're kind of in that four to 5% range. And then if I look at us holistics, it was as someone had calculated earlier, you know, significantly double digit. It, it feels like capacity is constrained on both sides of the border. Like uh, you're getting a premium for capacity out there. Uh, 
are, are you seeing a difference in how customers are, are pricing or, or thinking about how, how, how they get priced for that capacity? Or, or, or are U.S. customers or shippers more open to the pricing that's being pushed through, recognizing capacity is scarce, and, and that's just been harder to do in Canada? And if, and if, if that's the case, just, just wondering why you think that that is. It, it just feels like tight everywhere. I'm, I'm surprised you don't get the same reaction in Canada as, as we see in the U.S. Um, yeah, well, uh, that, that's, you know, something that I've, I've highlighted over the last bit is the Canadian marketplace is different than the U.S. marketplace. So let me talk about holistic first. And prices can go up in the marketplace, but if, if the cost of contracting goes up too, you're still only managing the spread. You're only making 10% off the, off the delta, right? So the biggest thing that happened in the United States is massive amount uh, growth in logistics and demand and all those kind of things, but also those that had the asset uh, did exceptionally well. So uh, they priced accordingly too. So you just manage the spread. Now, conversely, if it slows down, they still manage the spread. That's why I like that business. It's it's you're not going to ride this. Oh, things are great. Oh, things are not great, and whatever. It's quite stable because we just manage the spread there. So in the U.S. Yes, prices have gone up, but so have cost of contracting gone up. So, you know, the, you know, they've they've made more money because they did more gross revenue, um, and uh, those kind of things. So that's the U.S. market. We have not seen the same pricing leverage in the Canadian market. It's starting, Kevin, but it isn't. It's not the same as the as the U.S. We're we're at least six months, maybe twelve months behind the U.S. market, and I, and I told you why. It's cues. Everybody got cues. They didn't have to raise prices. They were making money because the government gave you money. Well, now you're not right. getting money. You've got to make money. Well, costs have gone up. So I suspect, um, you know, they're going to have to raise. And, and now you've got, you got wage push from drivers. And you, you, you hear it. No, nobody can get any drivers. So the market is in it's, – it's just about – you know, it, it is where it is right now. It, I don't think the market's growing a whole bunch right now, Kevin. I don't. I don't know how it can grow. I mean, our warehouses are full. You can't put more freight through the warehouses. It's full. Mm-hmm. So now it's you know we've been through. So, you know, the Canadian marketplace just hasn't moved on prices as fast as the U.S. market. But uh, I would suspect that uh, 2022 is going to be a you know is going to be a lot different than what we've seen for a long period of time. Um, I've, what I articulate is what I think will happen in the fourth quarter, uh, and then I'll come up with my game plan in, in December of what I think will happen in 2022. Suffice to say, I've said we're not going backwards. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, a, that's, that's an absolute. That is not negotiable. Right, and that, then that it's just and then it's just a matter of, okay, how much are you going to press, you know, your customers and uh, those kind of things. I can tell you though, there's a lot of pressure building on pricing right now. Uh, I have not seen pressures like this in my career. That's can I ask? Can, can I ask? Um, just get, if, if the U.S. is a bit of a crystal ball. You know, give, if, if Canada is six to twelve months behind, are, are you seeing your customers maybe proactively come to you to look at secure, uh, look at looking to secure capacity 
that you allocate to them in 2022, given given all the supply chain disruptions you're seeing, seeing in the U.S. Are you, are you seeing any of your customers kind of proactively come to Mullen and say, "Hey, you know, I, I want to make sure I get, you know, so so much trucking capacity, so much warehousing capacity, because I I can see where this is going to go." If I don't line this up soon enough. Yeah, yeah. So we we don't have a lot of of, of that business in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And when when I but when I talk to my peers down there, um, you know there has been some of that. But but everybody's cautious right now because nobody wants to get trapped. So everybody's kind of playing the spot market. Right. It's kind of like uh, the ship lines, the the marine lines. Nobody wants to sign up a, a long term contract because prices have just gone through the friggin' roof. So everybody's a little bit afraid of that and getting trapped. Uh, in Canada, we've 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 not heard that. Um, okay. uh, but I, I'm telling you, like the, the the balance of power has shifted now. Where we're saying to customers, uh, sorry, uh, it's easier for me to get a customer than it is for me to get uh, employees. So here's my price. Right. These are these are very awkward discussions. Because we haven't had these discussions before, but the pressures, the inflationary pressures in the system, everybody gets it. There's not one customer that's saying, "Yeah, we get it, we get it." Okay, and then it's just a matter, of, okay, how much are we going to get? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. that that's where we're at right now. No, that's uh, that, that's great, Colin. It sounds like we'll get some more details in, in the coming weeks here. Uh, th- that's it for me, Mullen. Thank the, the Mullen team. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks, Kevin. And one more comment on pricing, folks, and this is a, a general comment to everybody, is that, look, it, uh, we have long-term customer relations. Uh, we are not going to treat our customers and take advantage of them in the short term at the expense of the, losing them long-term. We sit with the customers. We'll, get, we'll make sure our costs are covered, and I suspect we might get a little bit more, but I am not going to play this game of making, you know, of, of trying to catch our customers and trap them and those kind of things. We've been in business too long to know that that will come back and haunt you. So we're not playing that game. Our final question comes from Elias Foscolos of IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hello, Elias. How are you, sir? Fine, thanks. Uh, good morning, uh, Murray, and uh, to the team. Uh, I know it's been a long call, so maybe a couple short questions. And um, maybe the first one, and maybe a bit if I can direct it towards Richard. Uh, did you turn down um, work in Q3 or into Q4, and is it substantial, or are you just seeing that as a potential trend of, uh, of turning down uh, work if you don't get the right price? Hi, Elias. Uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Well, I think we've covered that, and Murray has been alluding to what we're doing with the, uh, you know, with the customer and the challenges we're facing here right now as well. It's just a simply kind of a supply and demand imbalance. Customers are looking for things, and we're and we're working with each of our customers to, to provide the right service at the right price. So uh, I don't know if there was a kind of a cataclysmic issue of saying, hey, there's all we're not doing your work, but but we're being smart about it. Um, and, and we're being and, and we're being mindful, working with each and every of our business units in the segments that we operate in, because they're all because it's a little different in each area, right? You know, the LTL people uh, are going into their annual discussions, as Murray said, with the with the customers and what we need to be to, to move forward. But we're 
but, but we are working with our customers. Murray literally just talked to that point here as well. So there's any yep. color you need on that. Elias, we're, we, we, what we are is turning down, we have a number of new opportunities that come our way, and I suspect that's, that could be market churning, and we're saying we can't take it because you have to have either a facility you have to, or you have to have access to equipment or people. And uh, so, no, we're not, we can't take a lot of new business because there's no people available. And not at the expense of, of existing customers and relationships yeah. we've had with them as well. When yeah, so we're, people that we, we work with. Yeah, so we're, what, what, I think what that happens when we get a bunch of that is that customers are playing the market to see, well, I'll go and check it out. No, there's nowhere to go. No, everybody's full. Okay. Every one of our competitors is full. Every one of our warehouses is full. Um, here's the market. This is what we have to pay, and we have to make sure that we maintain margin. And, uh, you know, if we do our job properly and uh, things work out, then our margin should improve. But we're an asset light business model now, and we use a lot of subcontractors. So, um, you know, we, we don't, we, we don't, we're not going to have the same CapEx requirements that we used to have in the glory days with the old patch where we're having $150 million CapEx spend a year, you know, no, we're, we're not going to have that. We're, we're going to be kind of right in the middle of where we're at now. I think last year we were at 50 and this is, ex this excludes folks that 50 excludes uh, acquisition and excludes uh, uh, real estate. You know, those are long-term uh, investments, but on the, on the pure CapEx of replace of the rolling stock, you know, we, we might be up a little bit from that, uh, next year, uh, we'll see the budgets that they all come in, but it doesn't matter. You can't get it. Everybody's on allocation. We'll be lucky to be able to meet our threshold for for this year. I, I don't know if we'll get there. I don't think it'll all be delivered. Okay. Uh, too many I, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and Murray, and th thanks very much for the color, Richard. Uh, Murray, you, you, you touched upon the next one I wanted to bring about, which is your non-depreciating asset, non-depreciating asset, it's real estate. So a two-part question, one for maybe you, one for Carson. Um, you have a lot of real estate. We are in an inflationary environment. Is this going to give you a competitive advantage going into the future owning it? And the next thing for Carson is we have, and by the way, I just want to thank you for some of the disclosure you put in um, the results because I was able to get a good handle on incremental margins out of pre-May and, and, and drilling related. So thanks to that beyond everything else. Um, but are you going to look at revaluing your real estate at some point to give us an idea of what that might be worth? So two questions. Can you leverage the fact that you own that non-depreciating asset, and can you give us an idea of what it's worth at some point in time? I'll, I'll answer the first one for sure. Um, yes, we're going to leverage our real estate. Um, I can tell you owning your own real estate uh, is a competitive advantage. And when the some of the acquisitions I'm looking at, uh, and we look at the real estate, I go, it's, 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 the real estate has gone through the roof. So in an inflationary environment, the more real estate you own, probably the better off you are. And uh, Carson, I think the real estate value, our portfolio is around 600, 650 of book value. 
Yeah, our, our carrying cost is uh, is about 615 uh, million of the 978 million that we've got on our our balance sheet. So okay, so, so it, that, it's so, the lion's share. Yeah, yeah, that's what our carrying cost is. Mm -hmm. uh, we have not marked a market that I think we did to mark the market of that a number of years ago, fair market, but the market's gone ballistic since then. So uh, we haven't, uh, to answer the second part of the question, Elias, we haven't um, thought about that. Uh, I can tell you we look at our real estate as a pure competitive advantage. And so we'll be leveraging that to make sure that uh, that embedded cost of the fair market value of that real estate is reflected in the pricing models that our business units are using. I'm telling them, uh, real estate prices are up. It's not free. You're paying your fair rent, so charge accordingly. Uh, in terms of re-looking re at that, we may do it, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know if we will do that or not. That I'll have to take that under advisement. Okay, I, I appreciate the color because I was looking, one, for pricing um, on that to give you an advantage or to make sure that you're passing through what cost would be. And the second really was from the ability to leverage the real estate from a uh, borrowing, indirect borrowing perspective. So, you know, that was really the angle I was coming from. Yeah, so look, at if, if, if we, uh, Elias, if we needed more money, of which we don't need more money, uh, but if we needed more money, and the only reason we need money is because we do more acquisitions. We don't need money to run our business and do all that kind of stuff. We make it, we make lots of money. Um, but if we wanted to, uh, you know, find it, uh, you know, raise capital and, and leverage our, our real estate portfolio, uh, yes, we could do that. We would we would look at it at that time for sure, because there's a, there's embedded value within our real estate portfolio. You're correct. Great. Thank you very much uh, for all the color and uh, all the participation. And uh, Murray, have you set a date for the business plan? Uh, I think we're going to do it about December 8th, and then we'll we'll uh, submit our uh, we'll do a press release out on uh, after the board has approved it. So Great. management will prepare it. Our business units present present their budgets to us. Uh, corporate office will review it. We'll package everything together. We'll present it to the board, the board will debate it, and then we'll put out our plan and our budget for 2022 uh, just after December 8th. Great, appreciate that. So I'll, thanks very much and look forward to the closing comments. Thank you very much, Alas. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mullen for any closing remarks. Uh, Thanks all for joining us, folks. Uh, Carson, uh, fantastic job. And to our good friend, Stefan, who uh, uh, is, is, uh, is in there. He'll be out shortly and back at it. Uh, but uh, that shows you the power of the team we have here. Uh, stepped in and wonderfully well, well done on that. And uh, thank you very much, folks. And we will be uh, looking forward to outlining 2022 in early December. Thank you again. Bye-bye. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.